like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson back with you with Nick Springer. Hey. Did a great job filling in on Thursday and Friday. Thanks. I uh, came roaring into the studio a little later than normal today, but I made it back. We got a big show. Made it back. I'm here, slightly losing my voice once again. Dude, this is becoming a I mean, gross trend. Yeah, I'm I'm disappointed, honestly. I mean, your one job is to I speak, know. and you can't even maintain your voice? I know. What are you going to do about that? I'm going to chew do they have like uh, Do they have, like, like I don't even know, like uh, doctors or whatever that you can go to and be like, hey, <laughs> I need to strengthen my, you know what I mean? Like Or like workout. You mean like, like Tommy techniques. John? For, no. like, your... Yeah, for my voice. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Make me stronger. <laughs> uh, so we're going to spend the next three hours of the show breaking down what is a holding call, what is a catch, what is grass. Those are going to be oh, the three yeah. main questions that we're going to be asked, and we're not going to veer very far from that for the next no. three hours. No. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to the KU-Oklahoma recap. Normally, we do that off the top here, being that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Chiefs! I understand there's some people who are like, oh, I would never root for a team from Missouri. That is a small section. I think, as you see, mass getting stormed last night. There are many, many Chiefs fans in the area here. Um, so we'll, we'll be talking plenty KU, plenty Chiefs. We got Case of the Mondays, NFL Monday overreactions, uh, some post-game audio from both the Chiefs and the KU game over the weekend. And then Dan Fitzgerald, the KU baseball coach, is going to hop on with us at 5.05. So excited to have Dan on the show. Okay. Chiefs win the Super Bowl, 38-35. That was a great game. That was awesome. Really fun game, back and forth. I know a lot of people said this. I'll just echo it again. <clears throat> kind of unfortunate that you had a game of that magnitude that almost had a, and, and to be clear, this is like, let's just get this out of the way with the holding stuff. Um, Most importantly to this, the guy who committed the penalty himself ratted himself out after the game and said, yes, I <laughs> held him. So we don't really need to have much more of a discussion. And also, as you know, as we talk about, there's so many things that happen over the course of the game. You can argue in and out about if it's a hold, if it's not. Um, you can argue in and out about, well, in that moment, you can't make that call. I disagree with that. If it's a hold, it's a hold. Um, but nonetheless... You, it is funny because you have this great back-and-forth game, and you almost expect the game to be decided on, like, a 50-yard field goal or going to overtime or somebody having to score a touchdown and then the other team trying to answer, and will they get stopped at the 30 or will they make it down? Will they get stopped on fourth down? And that didn't end up happening. So that, I think, the ending itself, just being less anticlimactic for the last, like, minute and a half, I would say, probably made it so that this won't go down as, like, because if it would have had that, if, let's say, the Chiefs score and then the Eagles go down, get a touchdown with four seconds left, and then go for two for the win and don't get it, like, maybe it goes down as the greatest I'm, Super Bowl I'm, ever, right? I'm glad that that did not happen. Well, yeah, it would have been very nerve-wracking. This is probably better no, for the, the hearts of Chiefs fans everywhere. Um, I mean, I barely survived as it is. But the point 
basically, I, I don't even know if I'm making a point. I'm just saying it was a great game. It was a great game. It was, yeah, it was a great game. But, dude, dude, okay. How many times do I have to come on here and say, every game has bad calls? It's going to happen. Why do you continue to get yourselves worked up about it? It happens every game. There's bad calls. There's bad no calls. There's bad calls that were probably should have could have been no calls. This is what it is. This is what it is. God, so annoying. I don't care. I literally don't care. No, and I mean stupid. The, for the Chiefs' sake, it was good, obviously. Yeah. Well, the beauty of this is but that the Chiefs didn't. The Chiefs didn't win the game because of that one flag. No, they did not. And again, you can you know point out things throughout the game, but uh, Mahomes is absolute freaking warrior man. Um, that that run is going to be kind of signature play of the game where he takes off, scrambles up the middle for I don't know how many yards it was, twenty something. Yeah, doing it on one leg. You see, he was in pain afterwards A- after he went down with the injury in the the first half, and um, to do that at the end of the game, he's just a warrior. Did you did you see the picture after the game of him holding like the title belt? And yeah, yeah, with the glass, with Bowl, the was yeah, Super Bowl MVP trophy, trophy, yeah, yeah, the glasses. Yeah. yeah. Did you notice in like the corner where his ankle was? It looked like his ankle was, I don't know, suffering from like, I I don't even know how to describe I, it. Honestly, like he was turning into a zombie honestly, from his ankle below. I did not notice. You could like barely like, see. Was like, it like bruised and black? Yeah, but it was like. You know, normally you see bruises, or you see like a bruised ankle. This looked like his ankle was bitten by, I don't know, a bat from some ancient Egyptian pyramid that's going to cause, you know, dude, that's quite some the, plague to return. That's quite know. the imagination you got there. I actually did not pay attention to that. Okay, well, I'll make you look at it during the break. <laughs> um, but he was really good, and it's funny. Yeah. You look at the stats at the end of the day, and you're like, that was one of Patrick Holmes' worst games. I I, I really of, hope in terms of yardage at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I everything really else, hope everything else is fine. I really hope this doesn't come down to well, listen. The game was kind of what we thought it was going to be, which is the Eagles were the better team, but the Chiefs had Mahomes. Yeah, and that was the difference. Yeah, right. And, like you go down the stat sheet, Eagles outgained the Chiefs by almost hundred yards. They obviously dominated time of possession. Like they did all these things. Jalen Hurts was really really good in the great. game. I mean, he was almost perfect in the game. He was outstanding. Right. Like besides the fumble. That Nick Bolton returns for a touchdown. He played a really, really great game, mm-hmm. and the Chiefs didn't really get a ton of pressure on him. There was a couple of critical plays where they were able to flush him out to where he wasn't able to make a play, but they didn't really get a ton of pressure on him, yeah. right? And like the receivers for the Eagles kind of did what they wanted. They got the deep touchdown to to AJ Brown. Like they were able to run the ball pretty well against the Chiefs defense. Like the Chiefs, yeah. but the Chiefs defense did what they always do, which is they got a critical stop. They forced a couple field goals. They did what they needed to do. Yeah. Uh, but, but but like what I was saying about Mahomes, like the stats aren't great. But did you know that was his best game by QBR of the season? So like, yeah, well, I don't, on one leg uh, against every advanced metric gives the Chiefs like that was their best offensive game. Yeah. in a long time. Like, yeah, and it's because of the it fact did it on that, one leg against well, an Eagles because, defense that has a billion sacks. Yes, and they, by the way, not a single sack against nope. the Chiefs. Not a single sack. And the reason it looks so good is because the Chiefs only had the ball for twenty four minutes and they put up thirty eight points. They only ran fifty two plays and they put up thirty eight points. Like. They were so efficient. They did a lot of things really, really well on offense. They executed really well. They had really great schemes. So shout out Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy for a lot of the stuff that they were able to scheme up against the Eagles defense. And and yeah, Mahomes did what he does, right? Like like I said, it, it comes down to what we already talked about leading up to the game, which is 
the Eagles were the better team, but the Chiefs had Mahomes. I think that was really apparent in the first half because, like, there were a couple plays that the Eagles just made that, like, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh man, that was a bad scheme by Steve Spagnuolo. Like the uh, the deep ball to AJ Brown, it throws it into double coverage. Oh, it was good coverage. Good yeah. coverage by Trent McDuffie. Just a perfect. They just lost the ball. AJ Brown, you know, just made a great play. Yeah. Like that was just a better player making a better play. You know, you like you had little things like that where you saw the difference in the overall Eagles roster. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs were still close enough. And then you add in the fact that you have Patrick Mahomes and you know some of these other stars, Travis Kelsey. It was enough to get them over the hump because you know when that first half, the second half, like when the first half. They go down, they score right away. You go down, you score right away. You feel like it's going to be back and forth all game great. Then it's 14-7. Then they have the fumble. Now it's 14-14. You're like, okay, maybe the Chiefs are about to you know, go on a run here. The Eagles go up 24-14 at half, and Patrick Mahomes re-injures his ankle. And so at that point, like we see, we see the Chiefs, we see Patrick Mahomes come back from 10-point deficits all the time. All the time. What do I always tell you? You want him to get I down. I want him to get down. Yeah. I was very happy. But this one felt a little bit different because... I think normally when they're down, around, the uncertainty around Mahomes. Was, yes, the ankle. Was exactly, concerned. exactly. Like if he wasn't able to come back in the second half, that year, that's like you had that's, Chad Henney warming up on the sideline. That's pretty much game. It's one thing for Chad Henney to preserve a lead against the Jaguars. It's another thing to overcome a ten-point lead against the Eagles. Um, but then he came back and, and he looked totally fine in the second half. I don't know if the the long halftime helped or hurt him because on one hand, maybe give him more time for treatment. I would on the other it, hand, I would think it probably helped. It but might have hurt not, him though because the, the ankles sometimes the, the adrenaline wore off yeah. like, from the game. And sometimes really, you just need to stay on it. So I I don't know, um, but like <clears throat> that second half they were unstoppable. They scored on every drive in the second half. Yeah, yeah. The second half they were they were flawless. And obviously Kadarius Tony did his thing, absolutely fantastic. I mean you can and go- I, I asked this question to Josh Briscoe mm-hmm. who we had on the show while you were gone. Basically, the, it was a good idea, bad idea, which was. Kadarius Tony is going to have a great Super Bowl game. He is single-handedly going to be one of the reasons why you win the Super Bowl. And then the rest, but the rest of his career is he's going to be destroyed by injuries. So the rest of his career is going to be derailed by injuries. Would you would you take that? Well, he did. I mean, he he was an instrumental player in the Super Bowl. So I guess we'll find out. Yeah. No, I mean the trade at this point is worth it, no matter what. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just like the Sammy Watkins discussion. Yeah. Like Sammy Watkins got you, led you to a Super Bowl or helped you win a Super Bowl. And yeah, the rest of his time with the Chiefs was a bit. Was a bit underwhelming, but he got you to Super Bowl, and you won Super Bowl with Sammy Watkins. Flags fly forever. Same deal. Same same deal with Kadarius Tony. Yeah, and, and it's funny you go down like on and on down the list of like all the big moves you made, and they all kind of came through. And yeah, and even the draft picks. Yeah, the draft pick, like even Isaiah Pacheco having a big game and stuff. So uh, the second half, you were just kind of unstoppable, and you found a way to win it. You know what's crazy to me? I was I was thinking about this after the game. Normally in a championship game. There's going to be like at least five moments, maybe more, maybe less. Okay. Um, but right around there, that really stick out in your mind as being like the plays that everybody's going to remember from the game. You know what I mean? Like, um, I'll just pick a random Super Bowl, like the the Arizona Pittsburgh one from whatever fifteen years ago. You had the uh, James Harrison, like 98 or 100-yard pick six, whatever it was. Yep, yep. You had the Larry Fitzgerald long touchdown that gave them the lead. You had the San Antonio Holmes catch in, in kind of the corner of the end zone. You have, if we just go back to the Chiefs a couple years ago, you have uh, Wasp. You have um, the Damian Williams run. The Damian Williams run to seal it. You have the Damian Williams touchdown to put him in front. Uh, 
maybe Jimmy G like missing the pass like that you know certainly gets remembered by a lot of people if we just do like KU basketball one I mean how many plays do you Remy Martin step back three or um you know Jalen Wilson getting an and one on the block by Brady Manick or you know uh, so many plays that that stick out in your mind I think for everyone the one that clearly will is the Mahomes run or the Tony punt return yeah the Tony punt return but like I don't know how many like of those we remember the whole thing plays there are. You know what I mean? It was just like it was sure, almost yeah. like a technical assault by Andy Reid yeah. of just a well-oiled machine that put this together. Like, I mean, one of the biggest plays of the game was just Jalen Hurts dropping the football. Yes. And Nick Bolton picking it up, you know? Yes. Like, well, and obviously for the Chiefs in the playoffs, that that luck has normally gone against them. Yeah. I mean, Mahomes drops the ball against the, the, week before, against the Bengals. Uh, or two weeks ago. Uh, no Chiefs player had more than, I think, 90 receiving or rushing yards. Patrick Mahomes didn't have 200 passing yards. Like, there's not a lot about this game that well, was super flashy, I guess, for the Chiefs. Well, Yet they put up 38 points. They needed to because, listen, the Eagles did. The Eagles executed the same game plan they've executed every single game that they've won this season. Dominate time of possession, run the ball really, really well, and Jalen Hurts is good enough to to go win it, win you a game. They did all that, and the Chiefs, the, the Chiefs' offense needed to be pretty much perfect in the second half, and they were. They were. Yeah. So that's what's that's what's crazy about that is I mean the Eagles did everything that everything right. They did everything they wanted to do, you know. And this is just one of those cases where a, a, a transcendent great player just trumps all of that. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. No, I mean, that's just how. I mean, you know, they're and, and but what's crazy about that is in in football, in the NFL, even a transcendent player sometimes is not enough to trump all that because mm-hmm. it's a you know it's there's twenty two 20, guys 22 on the guys. field. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, like in basketball, it happens all the time, right? Like the transcendent player can win it because he's he can impact so much. <clears throat> but it, it happened here with Mahomes, right? It happened here with Mahomes. I mean. Very, very impressive, and I, I thought it was so telling a lot of the post-game stuff where not only is Mahomes revered you know, outside the locker room, but even inside the locker room. I mean, there was a great clip. Did you see the clip? It was, uh, it was Andrew Wiley, mm-hmm. and Mahomes comes over and hugs him, and, and they have a conversation, and afterwards, like, Andrew Wiley's, like, speechless. Like, he's, like, it's a, like, he's, like, in shock almost because of, like, this connection that he that him Mahomes had basically in that moment, right? So it's, like, it runs so deep with what he does, and and it's just it's incredible. I mean, it's 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 incredible to watch it unfold in real time, right? I mean, this. I mean, you know, for for people like me, and I guess you to a certain extent too. You're not really that old either, you know. Like the like the Michael not Jordan, really that old. Thank like you. The, like the Michael Jordan stuff. Like we weren't around for that stuff. Like that. That's that's what I feel like I'm watching right now. Yeah. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm watching a guy who just is that much better than everybody else, and continues to prove it. I mean, we have plenty of time to do the legacy talk stuff, but certainly when you win the second, like, that is the differentiator. You know what I mean? Like, if he loses that game, not that it would have been his fault. I'm not I'm not trying to do this, like, first take thing. of like, oh, is he over? No. We just, we've seen so many great quarterbacks only win one. You know, we've seen a lot of yeah. great quarterbacks struggle to even win past two. But now that you have two this early on, because to me the first one was obviously, you know, it was so special and so important because you hadn't seen it in forever. This second one to me is just such another level of like relaxation, I guess for me almost as a Chiefs fan in terms of it just feels like the ball now rolls toward you winning many more. I would agree with that. But like, like this I, one to like me I, opens up the possibility of winning five. Sure. But like I've told you before. Does that make sense? From my my point has always been 
They got one. I'm yeah. good. I'm good. But you're right. Winning the second one does now make you feel like you're in position because, uh, again, I mean, the, this term was kind of thrown around at, at, at the beginning of the season. Is the, the, for the Chiefs, this is a quote-unquote soft rebuild, mm-hmm. right? And they win the Super Bowl. You're like, all these and guys are going to be back on rookie. Um, yeah, and you're they, don't rookie up, deals. they don't give up a sack against the third best team in sacks of all time. And they are able to overcome a 10-point deficit against a team that had been one of the most dominant teams throughout the course of the season in the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, obviously, we talked a little bit about or alluded to the Eagles didn't really play a tough schedule. But, I mean, right. listen, if, if you if you I do were think that applied to the defense, though. I, were, I think we found that out, but that, that's another Yeah, story. but I yeah. will say, you know, if you were disrespecting the Eagles or didn't think the Eagles deserved to be there or whatever, man, they definitely deserved to be there. Yes. They were definitely the best top two or three teams in the league, right? Like, they, there was no question that the Eagles – even if they made, maybe hadn't necessarily quote-unquote earned it because they got to play the Giants and then got to play a team with no quarterback, they deserved to be there. Like yeah. They were they were every, every – in every aspect, they were that team. Yeah. Right? I, uh, I It's hard to measure this from a coaching standpoint because, you, like, with, with players, you can see it on the field. How many yards did he have? You can see the stats. Uh, with coaches, you don't totally know what's going on in those conversations and the game plan leading up. But – from I think the the untrained eye from the sideline, or, or just from watching on TV, whatever. Um, to me, that was Andy Reid's best coaching game of the season, and I don't know. I I, I don't want to be overly hyperbolic, so I'm not going to say like his entire time with the Chiefs, but like for sure the season because um, no, he he was phenomenal. His his offensive play calling was insane, and again, they scored every drive in the second half. Uh, the amount of tendency breakers that he used. Like the 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 play for the Isaiah Pacheco run on the third and one, how many times? How many times, Nick, have we seen that play where they run with Michael Burton, the fullback, being that like off centered fullback? Yeah, and he he gets doesn't the, get it or almost he doesn't, doesn't get it. Get he gets it. the fullback dive up the middle, and they ran that same formation, and everybody thought they knew <laughs> what was coming because we've never seen them like veer off of that except for I think one time, and instead they give it to um, Pacheco on a sweep play, basically, where Burton, instead of taking it, seals the edge and opens up the lane for him. You you had those plays. You had the, I mean, the, the touchdown pass to Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore was like the same play. You just basically yeah. did it like opposite sides and to a different receiver, and it was just like, it's that perfect getting, delicate balance between being like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but also, they think this is coming. Like, it, yeah. it was a perfect, it, it, it was chess. But also, he was one step ahead exactly. the entire time. You're getting guys wide open mm-hmm. against... One of the top defenses. And and maybe most, I don't know, most uh, surprising, I don't know if that's the right word. One of the things that's always been a knock against Andy Reid, and I think sometimes deservedly so, we talk about it, is sometimes game management decisions. You know, whether it's not yeah. being aggressive enough or Which, listen, time management. He did kick a field goal yeah, that on one fourth hurt. and three. And, and then you had the Eagles missed. going for like fourth and six and later getting a touchdown, right? Yep. So that, that hurt. That was a big swing. Um, but at the end of the game, they basically did the, the, the Bengals game that they played in the regular season last year. Do you remember the end of that game? Uh, the Bengals, got, um, uh, like, like they not just, the one where they lost the one before that, the one where the Bengals beat them in Cincinnati, not this season, the season before. Okay. And the Bengals just basically ran the clock down at the goal line and then like kicked the field goal. Yes. I do remember that. And I was curious how the chiefs were going to handle that situation. And I thought that was the right move. I don't know if we would have always seen Andy Reid do that. 
I think sometimes he would have just gone for the touchdown and said, all right, let's see if we can stop him. And, I mean, it's not a – going for the touchdown is no, not a bad not. option. You know, I mean. I but. think that's the more for sure one, though. You do what they did. I mean, you leave him with eight seconds. Don't to, tell Joel that. Our oh, he doesn't, on, he doesn't like it? host on Radio for Grown Ups. No, he was saying the complete opposite. He was saying the surefire thing is to get the touchdown. But then you so have to make what, a stop. What, and if they yeah, score the a touchdown – The risk is – in kicking the field goal is what he was saying. I see. I feel very confident the Eagles would have gone for two if they got a touchdown because they're here's, very. Here's what I'm saying. It's a 20 yard field goal. Yeah, like dude. Often those miss. Come I know on. every everybody I freaks out. You can miss or it can get blocked, yeah. but it, it's a 20 no, yard field goal. Say. They'll be for like, a professional special teams football. They'll game. be like, well, what if it's a bad snap? And it's like, okay, but we can't. You can't go into every play being like, what if the worst thing happens? Because then you'll just never run any play. You'll never pass. <laughs> you'll be like, well, what if it's intercepted? You know. So I I don't know. Um. But, yeah, that, I thought that was an unreal game by Andy Reid. But, yeah, back to the offensive line. We haven't really talked about them Phenomenal. outside of what you mentioned, the comment about zero sacks. It yep. is just the second time all season long that the Eagles had zero sacks in a game. The offensive line was probably the real MVP. Yeah. Uh, you can't give Super Bowl MVP to an entire offensive line. And nor, even if you had an offensive lineman have an insane game, there's not, like, stats to register that it'd be very hard for I mean, them to how win how many it. pancake blocks would you have to get to win MVP in the game? But even then, like, over the course of the game, they, they literally will show you, like, after every pass, it's like, Patrick Mahomes, this is his... They never show that. Like, maybe they show the graphic If a dude once, has, like, five or six pancake sure, they blocks, show they once, have to talk about you know? it. I mean, if he's just blowing dudes up, yeah. you know? If Trey Smith is just steamrolling guys. Yeah. I saw Trey Smith at uh, Fogo de Chow on Friday night. How about that? Nice. Is that, a, a, fist bump. What, is that a restaurant? Yeah. It's a uh, Brazilian steakhouse. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't even talk about the fact that you were there. Yeah, well, I wasn't at the Super Bowl. Well, I, but I was you were in, in, Phoenix. in Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of people. Uh, good time going on. Went to the waste management. That was fun. That's story for another day. But um, yeah, offensive line was great. And you look at, I, I mean, I thought both offensive lines were really good. I do think the grass probably slowed down both pass rushes a tad. Um, because. The only sack of the game, I want to say, for either teams was Jalen Hurts running out of bounds for, like, a loss of a yard. Yeah, it was the play that Kalen Saunders chased him down. Yeah, so he got credited with it, right? Uh, I think so. But, yeah, I mean, so you go back two years ago, you get whooped in the Super Bowl to the Buccaneers because your offensive line was mangled, beat up, it was injured, and it wasn't good enough. You reshaped the offensive line. Brett Veach put in a ton of money and resources and draft picks, and he hit on... Like all of it, except for maybe like Lucas Niang, yeah. who was a third round pick. But oh, yeah, that's has, more been an injury thing. This has thing, been so like a very impressive run of with Brett Veach of of just hitting on everything, hitting on draft picks, on trades. Yeah, and if you think about it, when you look back at what the Patriots did, aside from having Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, like the other aspect that gave them that dynasty run was that they were really, really good at getting production out of players and then getting rid of them when they were about to drop off or whatever. Like they were really good at that. So that. So when you talk about being a great team in the NFL, great coach, probably need a, a, a top 10 quarterback, if not better, and you need a, a GM or you need a, a management system that has that ability to be able to, to extract the most out of players before they move on or whatever, right? And that's exactly what the Chiefs have done in the past you know, four or five years now, and you've seen the fruits of that, two mm -hmm. Super Bowls. And now, and honestly, for the Chiefs, it's even better because, like you mentioned, they're in position now where they should be the favorites to get the next couple after this. Seriously. No, I mean, think about all the uh, dynasties we've had in, in the NFL. So um, we had the Patriots past two decades. 
We had uh, the Cowboys in the 90s. We had the 49ers in the 80s. We um, had the Steelers in the 70s. We had the Packers in the 60s. You know what all those teams did? What's that? The one back-to-back. That's something the Chiefs haven't done yet. Interesting. Now, if we're going to continue on with the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady stuff, that team won a Super Bowl, didn't win a Super Bowl that next year, and then they won back-to-back. So this would be one extra year in between, but it'd be kind of the same pattern. And that's the question now. Can you win that third? Can you become a dynasty? And can you do so winning back-to-back? Because that has been a characteristic that has happened with every dynasty in NFL history. They've been able to win back-to-back. So if you think the Chiefs are that level of team, which you know they haven't really showed you they're not, why can't they win another one this next year? Uh, but I, I don't want to get too much into that. Today's a day of celebration, you know? Focus on <laughs> what's already getting me excited for 20, 2024. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout, switch gears, talk some KU basketball. This is RCST on KLWN. Depending. We're going to be joined by Dan Fitzgerald at 5.05. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kansas takes down Oklahoma over the weekend. Very convincing win for the Jayhawks. We'll break it down here in just a second, but some rivalries stand the test of time. The University of Kansas Jayhawks battled the Missouri Tigers on the ice at Cable Dahmer Arena. Cable Dahmer is a great venue to feel close to the action. Come out on February 16th. That is uh, coming up this Thursday for Rivalry at the Rink. Tickets are on sale now. Check out the group ticket pricing featuring 15% off normal ticket prices for groups of eight or more. Get your tickets or learn about birthday party packages for Rivalry at the Rink between Kansas and Missouri on February 16th at CableDomerArena.com. And we're giving away tickets. We're going to officially give them away on tomorrow's show. Um, So if you still want a chance to win free tickets, we have 50 tickets to give away. We'll do that on tomorrow's show. All you got to do, go to uh, my Twitter page, at DJohnsonRadio. I have it pinned on my profile with uh, how you can register to win some free tickets to the KU Missouri hockey game coming up on Thursday. We'll get to our uh, Rock Chalk Pick Hawk recap in our next segment. Um, we'll just start with kind of the base recap here. KU takes down Oklahoma and one of their easier wins of the season, 78 to 55. They yeah. did it on the road. And now you look at it, their last, I mean, the last four games they've won. The one loss in between there, you lost by 15. But the last four games you've won, you've won all of them by nine or more points. So not just you're winning these games, but it's no longer like early in the season where like every win you were having to just scathe out, which is nice. Yeah, it's thought, important. I, mean, I talked about this on Friday, but yeah, KU had played 11 conference games leading into the Oklahoma game. And what, two of them had been like easy, comfortable wins where you didn't really have to stress that much? I mean... The Texas game, you led wire to wire, but they did make a push, right? So you could maybe throw that in there. So two, maybe three games that you had, if you're KU, that you took control early and had a comfortable, comfortable game. West Virginia on the road and K-State at home. And that's that's pretty much it, plus Texas, I guess, right? So it was really, really nice to see Kansas do that here against Oklahoma. Take control against an inferior opponent and just, you know, take the win out of their sails at their home floor and don't let them get back in the game. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did. So I, I thought it was very impressive. Yeah, there was the one stretch in like the – was I think it was around like, I don't know, early on in the second half when uh, the KU lead like dwindled down to like five or something like that. But then outside of that, like it, it wasn't really a game. Um, offense looked very gross in the early going. I mean, it was 
four points. They're almost halfway through the first half. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was that was no fun. And it looked like I don't know what it is. They just they have I guess nine or ten minute stretches every time they play Oklahoma where they just can't score. Um, but then they have other stretches where they look really really good. Uh, we hear Kevin Flaherty say this all the time. Best best way to avoid losing close games is just to avoid close games. <laughs> so like, you, you you're gonna have to win a certain amount of close games. You just are. But you need some of these. You need some of these breathers that you can just kind of yeah. step back and, I don't know, smell the flowers a little bit and kind of run your way to it. It's too much if you have to do it each and every game. Yeah, And I think it also represents the fact that this team is turning a corner. I do think this Oklahoma team, honestly, at this point, I wonder if they're the worst team in the Big 12. They're tied with Tech, but Tech is playing a lot better. Okay. But also Oklahoma still beat Alabama by like 30 yes. two weeks ago. Which, so, by the way, Alabama... Number one in the AP poll. Yeah. <laughs> Oklahoma beats them by 30. KU just beat Oklahoma by 23. Makes so they're, think. what, 50 points better than makes, Alabama? Makes you think. <laughs> makes you think. Does make you think. Um, so, I I don't know. Um, I think I, I think it just shows the growth, though, above yeah. everything else. Because we saw the first game in, in Allen Fieldhouse. KU had certain struggles there. Yeah. There were was a bit of a fluky nature to it. Oklahoma was hitting some tough mid-range and layups. Kansas missed a billion layups. He had the 13-minute stretch without a field goal. There were a lot of things that you point back to in that first game and be like, well, that didn't totally make sense. But it was still a a, a game that you very easily could have lost, and this time wasn't even close. So yeah. I, I think the way that you look at them playing the last few weeks, if you just remove the Iowa State game, which the more this goes and they keep playing well around that game, that game just looked like a weird clunker where Iowa State was up and, and you weren't. Sometimes that happens over the course of a long college basketball season. I think this team is kind of starting to turn a corner. Yeah, and it starts with Dewan Harris, right? Another game where he was looking to looking to score. 11 shots in the game, right? 16 points. Another really solid performance from him. And I think also, obviously, a lot of people want to talk about Ernest Uday with this game. But the most interesting thing to me with Ernest Uday was, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but earlier in the season, I think a lot of people felt that the where Ernest could probably have the most positive impact would have been at the offensive end with his ability to get to the rim and dunk and create space and things like that. Well, it turns out that his his biggest impact and where he demonstrates his, his athletic talent and his ability is on the de- is on the defensive end, making great plays defensively. And that's what really stood out to me against Oklahoma was that for as good as he was and, you know, the dunks are flashy, everyone wants, everyone wants to talk about the dunks, everyone remembers the dunks, he was almost equally, if not more impressive, on the defensive end with what he was doing. And that's that's huge for Kansas, right? Because Uday can be a rim protector type player. And with KJ Adams, you don't have that, right? And with KJ Adams, you have that versatility of switching and he's really great on the short roll, but he's obviously not a guy that's really gonna can really harass the rim offensively or defensively for that matter. And Ernest Uday can do that. So that to me is what I thought was most interesting about Ernest Uday's performance is that while He's more flashy on the offensive end, and so people will look at his offensive impact. To me, it's what he does on the de- on the defensive end that could elevate Kansas as a whole higher than what he does on the offensive end. Yeah. I was really impressed, too, with, with Ernest's ability to kind of guard in space a little, even, in that game. Because we've seen a lot of other games where Ernest has struggled in, like, the high ball screen and being out in space, but I thought he was good against Oklahoma. Um yeah, that's, that's become a nice little one-two center punch. It really yeah. has. I think that 
Because, I mean, KJ obviously has been great. Yeah. There's no question about it. He's Which been is, really, really great. And now with Ernest elevating and, and looking like he's much more comfortable and is going to be a consistent guy, like, yes, that adds a lot more to Kansas' game. And now what, what it really gives you, I think, is you've got two guys that you can play at the five that both do different things really, really well. So you can stylistically, you can match whatever your opponent might be doing. Like, if, if, the, if the other team has a, has, a, has a big man who's a shot blocker, Ernest Duda can come in. Or if you're trying to spread them out and use KJ to drive and whatnot, you can you can do a lot of things different in different ways stylistically because you have two guys that both have played really well at the center position recently, but they do it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that for this team, they haven't always gotten easy shots inside. And it's not coming the same way we're used to where it's like getting a guy an angle and throwing it to him in the post or him hitting a hook shot down low or drop-stepping someone or spinning yeah. in. But... They're finding ways to get those now. KJ's doing a really good job of getting to the rim and attacking. And even though, again, it's not like a post-up, Ernest has been such a terror for opposing defenses with his ability to catch those high lobs and really finish in the pick and roll. And that can be a weapon in its own right. So that's been really impressive. And I, I think nothing speaks more to kind of the growth of where a couple of these these young freshmen, or maybe it's, maybe it's mostly Ernest, I don't know, probably is, but it does feel like there's been given a longer leeway to Ernest Duday and MJ Rice, and maybe that's just because they've they've earned it with either their play or their play in practice. But like I, I think nothing told me that more than there was a stretch where MJ Rice made like he had a defensive mess up and then he didn't box someone out. If that happens a month ago, he's yanked right there and there. Probably, yeah. But he kept with him. And it's not that MJ had like this crazy game. But it's just that idea that I think it tells you that self is starting to give trust to those guys, or maybe they're earning that trust is a better way of putting it. A circle of trust. Yeah. I I have no idea what to think about the Joe Yesifu game, because that was, I don't know. Like, on one hand, you've basically told him, just come in and shoot. Be aggressive. <laughs> the other hand is that looked a little chaotic and, and clunky, but... uh. I don't think at this point, if you're Bill Self, you tell Joe, like, no, stop doing that because you're worried about, uh, I don't know, not not happening anymore. But, yeah, that, that was really impressive from the centers. I think the two centers went 9 of 10 combined. Yeah. And like you said, it's not it's not from posting up and turnaround hook shots or whatever. It's And I think for Bill Self, it's obvious over the last two games, particularly when you look back at the Texas game, it's obvious that he has put an emphasis on getting points in the paint, finding ways to score at the rim, whether to spread everybody out and drive and slash and, and pass, or in this game against Oklahoma, utilize Ernest as a guy that can go up and get dunks, right, and make plays like that. So it's not so much about manufacturing a points in the paint by throwing it to a guy with his back to the basket and scoring. Now it's more of driving and slashing and cutting and then using Ernest to, to, to get lobs, right? But it's clear that Bill Self wants to wants to see this team get more points in the paint and manufacture more points in the paint. And I think it makes sense. It takes a lot of pressure off of guys like Grady, right? I mean, basically what I th- what I think Bill Self's strategy has been is is to utilize more in the paint points and getting guys to the rim and stuff is basically to say that way when Grady has an off shooting night, suddenly where's the offense coming from? Or when Jalen has an off shooting night from the perimeter, suddenly where's the offense coming from? Now you have that ability, especially with DeWan being more aggressive, driving to the rim, and then you throw in Kevin, who can kind of do it all, and then you throw in Ernest, who can obviously go and, and destroy the rim, and KJ's been great. 
then suddenly you don't necessarily you're not you're not looking at Grady Dick and saying, "Hey, we need you to go three of six from three in this game to win the game," right? Like you don't need him to do that. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a good point. I kind of a quiet game there, but it just didn't matter because you, you have to ha- you have to be multi versatile. Like that's that's what we learned yeah, about Grady last Dick year's didn't team, even right? attempt a three. In this no, game. that's what we learned about last year's team. You know, that wasn't one of Bill Self's five most talented teams or one of his, you know, five greatest regular season teams. But they had so many options that could get you a bucket, that could score for you in tough situations if the defense was taking somebody out or had a really good defender making it difficult on somebody. Somebody else was able to step up. You had so many options. And through a majority of this season, maybe not a majority, but through a good chunk of Big 12 play in January, that no longer became the case for KU. And now they're kind of working back toward that, and they're even adding more with guys like Ernest and so on, and that's impressive. Yeah. And so uh, you looked at this upcoming slate with the the two-game tilts in Oklahoma at OU, at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, one and one wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Obviously, it would be very helpful to go 2-0 and to try to stick right with Texas, but at the very least, you had to go one and one in this trip, and you got the first one out of the way right off the bat, so that's yeah, obviously and that, a positive. And, you know, listen, there were some huge results elsewhere in the Big 12 that really benefited Kansas. Yeah, really good weekend, with yeah. the exception of Texas winning. Yeah. Like, everybody else lost who needed to. Yep. I guess you could have argued the Baylor-TCU game, like, maybe you think Baylor is more in it long-term, even though I think at the time they had the same record. <laughs> yeah, Derek, as it, it, as shocking as this sounds, it turns out that the three teams that we thought were going to have a chance <laughs> to win the Big 12 in December yeah. are the three teams that are going to have a chance to win the Big 12. Wow. Shocking. Yeah. It almost feels like pointless the last like month of shows. <laughs> it just I don't know. It's a little Oh wait, maybe maybe Iowa State has a chance. Oh maybe K State. Oh maybe TCU. No, no, no. KU, Texas, Baylor. Period. <laughs> maybe we are good at predictions. All right. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. <laughs> this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it. Getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How much does it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on your Monday. Hard to have a case of the Mondays after the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Like a happy yeah. day. Yeah, that's kind of a good point. That's kind of a good point. Well, again, listen, <clears throat> I will continue to die on the hill that Tuesday's worse than Monday. Yeah. Also, though, there is a... a an I don't know. There, there, there's another part of it where it's a big case of the Mondays because everybody would like the day after the Super Bowl off, yeah. especially if your team just won it. That you'd like to be able to like, I don't know, celebrate it maybe yeah, a little bit. Case of the Mondays for employers that want productive Mondays <laughs> yeah. in the area. Yeah, that's a good point. See, for us, it, it goes hand in hand. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, exactly like, for you know, for us, just get, sitting around chatting about it, that's being productive for us. Exactly. Exactly. That's what for that's you what makes this job so great. Yeah. Perfect. Um, right. Ready? One second. Okay. Are you looking for the perfect destination ah. for your next social or corporate gathering? Very well done. Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-75, minutes from downtown Lawrence, Venue 1235, large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. You could have rented it out and done like a Super Bowl watch party there. 
It's True. too late now, but yeah. there's plenty of other events going on that you could do that for. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Case of the Mondays. Let's do it. First up, to be. Dude. Not like Shakespeare, to be or not to be. To be, T-U-B-I. I don't even know what this is, and to be honest, I, I still don't totally know. I think it's, it's just like, like a, a TV Yeah, it's like a TV stream service. service. It's like yeah. a Hulu or Sling. But, dude, worst Super Bowl commercial of all time. Of all time, yeah. Yes. That was just rude. Terrible. Yes, horrible. And there's no chance that gets them more subscribers, right? No, absolutely. No. Okay, listen. This is this is this is an example of putting to the test the theory that all publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Because this is bad publicity, but is it actually going to translate to people subscribing? I don't think it will. <clears throat> I don't think it will. Well, so I guess I should I should yeah for anybody say what happened didn't first. Watch I guess, the yeah, bowl which or or anybody maybe who you were out it. in another room grabbing yeah. an appetizer or yeah. a, a beverage or something and, and you missed the commercial. Um, there was a commercial. Oh, was that second half? I want to say. Yeah. So basically, it was like it, it the commercial. So the commercial was it looked like the Super Bowl was coming back on, like they're mm-hmm. coming back from commercial, and then it like flipped the channel. Yes. Right. And so people are like, "Dude, who changed the channel? Yes. Like, dude, the game is back around. on. Like, what? Everybody. What are you doing? Like, you know, did you like sit on the Grandpa, remote. What are you doing? Yeah. Flip it back. Flip back to the game, and then it turns out that was the commercial. Okay. Right. But again, like you said. All, it's all publicity, good publicity here because people were mad about it, like upset. Well, I guess on one hand, you could say like we're talking about Tubi now and I've never talked about Tubi before. <laughs> so like now I'm aware I'm of what they are. I'm definitely not subscribe to it. But yeah, no, dude, like uh, screw you. Like you you almost ruined. I, I mean, we we picked up the remote and we, we exactly. were about yeah. to change the channel. Like, and then Yeah, you could have ruined some relationships over that. Yes. Could you yeah. imagine if that like would have happened game before like, like one of the biggest your... plays of the game and then people missed it? <laughs> <laughs> like you're watching the game, you know, with your significant other like that, you know, and and it, maybe they don't really care about f- sports that much. And then it's like, dude, why'd you change the channel at the Super Bowl? What are we doing? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know, dude. Yeah, bad. Really bad. That was very bad. Um, so, yeah, Tubi. I'll actually, I, I'm Honestly, actually. Honestly, kind of a case of the Mondays for just Super Bowl commercials in general because they were kind of lame. I don't really remember any of them that much. Yeah, I got asked today by someone, I, uh, what was your favorite Super Bowl commercial? And I was like, honestly, the only one I can remember is the Tubi one. So again, maybe, maybe they won. Was the, maybe was, they did win. There was the Will Ferrell one, but I don't even know what it was for. Wasn't oh, wasn't I think it, it was Netflix? Netflix? So I remember that one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, and honestly, I, you know, when the Chiefs are playing, I'm normally so absorbed in the game that I don't pay attention to the commercials. I would like to see the impact of this if more people subscribe or if, like, people, I don't know, desubscribe or something. But, yeah. All right. We'll we'll circle back to this in about six months or a year and see what the data says. (laughs) There's no way we're we're going to have We're going to have wall-to-wall coverage of (laughs) Tubi. Did they? We're going to break it down. We're going to have charts, everything. Someone send us a reminder. Six months. In, like, six months, yeah. Knowing the score. Over the summer. Over the summer. Knowing the score gets a case of the Mondays. Um during the KU game against Oklahoma on CBS, Kansas was up sixty-five to forty-three, and they were showing it on the broadcast at sixty-five to forty-nine. Okay, you know what? what? That, that this explains a lot. Oh, because so you didn't realize a, that? I didn't even. Okay. I did not realize. There was a moment in the game where I was like, "Wait a second! I thought we were up. I thought Kansas was up by like more." Yeah, and then it wasn't. Just blink more. of an eye. And then I was like, "What?" I, I, okay, and I listen. I'm not very smart, so I didn't figure it out. But so, thank you for illuminating this for me. Well, they went back and reviewed six different plays, and all of them, it looks like it was actually a three instead of a two. Dude, that'd be wild if actually that happened, <laughs> where it was like suddenly your team, like it's a close game, and your team just loses like seven points. <laughs> well, you go <laughs> up from being up two to down five. You're like, what? 
Yeah, that, uh, I think they corrected it later, but like people were like, if you look at like the, like say the ESPN app or something, uh, an app that shows you the scores, it's like 65-43. If you're at the arena, it's like 65-43, but on TV, it's just all of a sudden they jumped to like 49 points and everybody was like, Listen, what the that's heck? just CBS trying to keep viewers by artificially I making guess. the game look a little <laughs> bit closer than it was. So that people, so that people do that change more. the channel. They should do that more. You know what I mean, just, just, mm-hmm. I mean, who, what's to stop them? Why, why would, why wouldn't they do that more? Just lie about the score. People are gonna watch and be more engaged, and they won't even know. Do you ever go back and like see clips or highlights or just the whole game itself, like old games like the '80s or '90s, and they didn't have like a scoreboard? Where they have to like put it up every single yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's tough. That That's would be brutal. so tough. But honestly, though, if you think about it from that way, like it was probably good in the sense of. People were way more engaged with the game. True. And they actually had to watch the game. Pay yeah. Attention. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, they're also probably more uh, onus on the broad. Like, it was more important for the broadcaster to... To not suck. Yeah. They always say, for radio broadcasters, time and score. Yes, time They always score. say time and score. If because you're on the radio, time and score. They can't see the time and score, so keep yep. reminding them. That's, yep. what they're, that's what they mostly care about. They want to know what's going on. In... The TV side of things, it's obviously less important. because Yeah, because you can just change a channel big graphic, and right see there. the score. Yeah, yeah, you have the game on mute. But I guess back in the day, that was super important for him. But eh, yeah. time and score was wrong. Ended up being okay. Yeah, I mean, KU still won by 23. So. Case of the Mondays. People who wanted to say Joe Burrow was more than Patrick Mahomes like three weeks ago. Yeah, that's a bad one. It went from... Oh, well, Joe Burrow going to be 4-0 against Mahomes. And we we talked about this a little bit, just the idea that, like, okay, but you realize they're incongruent things. Like, playing, uh, they're playing with different variables, pieces around them, or going up against different defenses. And um, just to begin with, hey, Patrick Mahomes is still just better, even if Burrow was 4-0 against him, and even if he ended up winning a Super Bowl and tied him up. Well, now it's, it's not even That would have been so bad. It would have been so annoying. Like, that would have been... I just, I'm just envisioning some alternate universe where that happens, and it would have been the worst alternate universe. I can't think of a worse one. It would have been so bad. Well, now you don't have to worry about it. I know. Patrick I'm really Mahomes. happy. I'm really happy about that. How many Super Bowls does he have? Two. I don't dislike Joe Burrow. How many does Joe Burrow I, have? Zero. I don't dislike Joe Burrow that much, but legitimately, I hope Joe Burrow never wins a Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I I like you, but I wish you failure. No, I didn't say I liked him. I said I don't dislike oh, him. Okay. There's a difference. <laughs> There's a big difference. I like that. I don't dislike him. I didn't say I liked him. I'm going to start using that for if like somebody cuts me off on the road. I'm going to be like, I don't like you, but <laughs> I hope you get pulled over by a police officer. No. Um, I don't not dislike you. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah. So, now Mahomes is up two on Super Bowl appearances, two on Super Bowl wins, two on Super Bowl MVPs, two on regular season MVPs. Hey, Bengals fans. Not a conversation. Cry more. <laughs> cry more. Cry harder. Do you think the Bengals fans are so triggered by the holding call? Yes. 100%. Easily, yes. They're like, oh, the by Chiefs, the, they did it by again. By the unnecessary roughness. Gave it to the Chiefs. No, they're, they're mad. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're really mad. Yeah. Uh, Case of the Monday, storming the court. I mean, first yeah, of all, dude. this was a good result for Kansas. Yeah, dude. But. Texas Tech beats K-State on their home floor and have the lamest, most <laughs> boring court storm I've ever seen. It was, it was, a, it was a court walk. <laughs> it was not a court. Listen. I have stormed McDonald's at midnight trying to get some food <laughs> more aggressively than what I saw uh-huh. in that game. That that it was not a full arena, right? No. And yeah, it was it was a, a brisk jog. It, it was pretty sad. It was very sad looking. I that you know, so I'm if not, you're gonna storm the court, you got to do it right. I'm not one of these people that cares about like oh should they 
And, and some people are like, I, you know. No, yeah, I don't but, have any problems with storming the court. Exactly. But if you're going like, to do it, it's got to. I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, if you're ranked 24th and they're second, like you can't do it. But, but it's got to look you know, cool. Whatever, you know? Just I mean, do it. Exactly. You can't do it late. That's like, my one requisite. Yes. It's if you're either, gonna do it, do it. Yes. It's either all in or don't do it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, if you're going to go to the gym, don't just walk <laughs> on the treadmill backwards for two minutes and then leave. Hey, some people need to just walk on the treadmill. What's backwards for two minutes and just leave. Why I think I think because uh, I was just trying to be ridiculous because that's how ridiculous <laughs> this court storming was. So yeah, just if if you're gonna do it, do it right. You know that's that's my only request. Okay. Um. Also, it, how how many Kansas State fans do you think were triggered by the idea that a team stormed the court against them? Not realizing the irony. Uh, there was probably a few out there. There was probably a few, mm. but I I don't care. Huh. So, I could care less about what K-State fans think about other teams storming a court against them. But, dude, Texas Tech, like, come on. Come on, guys. Like, storm a little better. I mean, what are we doing? Wait, so, is Texas Tech still a lot? No, they're done for the Big 12 title. No, My dream done. scenario is gone. What, Texas Tech wins? Wins out. Everybody ends like 9-9, nine and nine, but they can't get there now. No, because they're, what, they're 2-10, and 10, right? Yeah. They can still make a push. NCAA tournament, maybe. No. Win six straight. No. If they win six straight, they are in NCAA tournament team. You think so? What's their record? I mean, Nineteen right now? and twelve. They're thirteen they? and twelve. Okay. If they win okay. seven of eight, I actually think the no, Big Twelve is only going to get like be five of six. six teams in the tournament. I don't. I don't know that West Virginia is going to make it, and Oklahoma is definitely not going to make it. West o- Virginia, <laughs> needs to Oklahoma make State, I think might make it, but it's not a guarantee. I think they will now. Sixteen and nine, they look good, man. They do look good. Hey, I, it's going to be a problem tomorrow. Well, speaking of Oklahoma State, you. What? You were on Case of the Mondays. What did I do? You said on, I forget it was last Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> what did I say? I didn't did have I time today to pull the audio. Done? You did. Oh, I did. I told you I said, because <laughs> uh, we were trying to figure out, we were like, who's still in it for the big t-? And I said, well, who knows? Oklahoma State's six and five now. If Iowa State and Kansas and, and TCU guess. in front of them. I said, oh, Oklahoma State's done. Yep. They're done. Yes. Oh, they're done, Derek. Yep. And I said, hey, if they, if they win those three games, it's like, they're going to be like in first or right there, game out. And you were like, well, it doesn't matter. They're going to lose to Iowa State on Saturday. <laughs> Guess what they did? They went into Iowa State and they st- stomped them by eight points. <laughs> so Oklahoma State is a Big 12 title contender now. Maybe. I mean, they're seven and five. I'll say maybe now. I won't say they're done. They're tied fourth with Iowa State, K State, and they're ahead of TCU. Listen, I already explained it to you in the last segment. It's KU, Texas, and Baylor. Yeah, everybody realistically. Else, everybody else done. It's one of those three Except, teams. Except, I guess, Oklahoma State now, because I don't want to say that they're done again, and then you'll come back and say, Oh, <laughs> Oklahoma State, you said they were done. You uh, said they were done. I think uh, with Musa Cisse, they're like 7-1 and one in Big 12 play, and the only loss is the Kansas loss, but, which, which they very easily could have yeah, won. exactly, yes. They have the number one defense in Big 12-only games. They, they, they've they been really good. They've been really good. Yeah. And they're kind of peaking at the right time, too. So, uh, Tuesday's matchup should be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, case of the Mondays for Carl Cheffers. Dude, I just feel so bad for this guy. He can't catch a break, dude. First, all Chiefs fans hate him. Yeah. Right? And then, Chiefs fans like him, but everyone else hates him. Yeah. Like, can you? Can this guy catch a break? Well, so I, I put him on there. I feel bad for him. I feel bad for Carl Cheffers. So, we're, we're, we're doing the full arc that we do with, like, okay, TV I, show characters with Carl Cheffers. Where he just goes you know how, from villain to hero. Well, you but know how in a lot of TV else? shows, there's always like one character who's kind of like an edgy, like, oh, I mean, he's got some good qualities about him, but <laughs> you know, he 
he's kind of a jerk, and sometimes he does things where he doesn't think about stuff. And then there's like always that that arc that at some point they start to turn. Like Game of Thrones, maybe like a Jamie Lannister would would be an example. I've never watched Game of Thrones. I some people will get that anyway. Okay, uh, but you know what I mean, just in general, like like that's no, arc. It. No, I get it. That, so that's what you're doing with Carl Chambers. Is there any hey? Is there any job that's worse for like? From a social standpoint, than being an NFL official, wow, like a head official, because you every you every have weekend, social media. every weekend, there is going to be like hundreds of thousands of people that are probably going to be mad at you. Yeah, every week, literally every single weekend, like clockwork. I see the thing that would suck, or in this case, millions of people. I would almost, if I was an official, I would just live out like in middle of nowhere. You're not having like human interactions where people are like screaming at you. I don't know. That's just sad. That is sad. Well, but also, you know, I think most officials can probably go be an official and then kind of like blend in Mm -hmm. with society. You know what I mean? Yeah. How many people are recognizing? Like, I wouldn't recognize Carl Sheffers. Like, how many how many officials would you actually recognize in a random place? Like, maybe like Ed Hockley. I think he's retired now, but just because he's jacked. Yeah, because he's buff. Ron or Ron? uh, What's that guy's name? Ron. You know what I'm talking about? Ron um, Tol- Tolbert, I think? I don't know. Maybe like Joe West. <laughs> I'm going to be umpire. <laughs> but yeah. So like, I wouldn't, if Carl Sheppers was just wearing like a regular outfit and he wasn't wearing his ref uniform, I don't think like, I'd Oh, that's Bob it. from accounting. You know? <laughs> okay, uh, case of Mondays for grass. A lot Dude. of discussion <laughs> about the playing service last night. And uh, <laughs> not great. Gra- grass is having a tough day mm-hmm. in general. Tough day to be grass. Tough day to be a grass enthusiast. Tough day to be a uh, someone who. What's the word for someone who like <laughs> grows grass? A grassologist. A grassologist. No, that's I made not that a up. real thing. I made that okay. up. <laughs> you know, I, I think the times of the year that grass peaks is the Rose Bowl. Okay. The Masters. Masters is a good time for grass. Yeah. Masters that was not a good showing. This, this was a bad time for grass. Honestly, this could have been on stock market later this week. Stocks down on grass. Stocks down on grass. Yeah. No, definitely. Stocks are, are down on grass. Yeah, both teams were just slipping and sliding around. So basically the story was they, they basically decided to put this new grass in that they had been this guy who like he yeah, specializes. Dude, this was like synthesized in a lab. Yes, he Supposed specializes like in, in specially making made golf grass surfaces. And he decided to make one for the NFL. And yeah, like you said, it's been tested in the lab and they thought it was going to be this great thing. And then it just why why would they test it at the Super Bowl? I don't know, man. Why not just test it at like Cardinals Dude, for being game? a multi-billion dollar industry, the NFL does a lot of things that are not very smart. I love too that people are like clamoring like, "Hey, why do we have chain gangs and why do we have not and we use spend the 800,000 dollars on grass?" Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> on like, crappy grass. Here? On literally bad grass. Mm-hmm. Not crab grass, crap grass. Ha ha. Uh, Got him. Case of Mondays, baseball purists. The uh, extra inning rule where you get the runner on second to start, still going to apply this year. Why? It just speeds up games. But does anybody care? <laughs> um, Besides baseball purists, I guess. Well, you see, I think that's a, <laughs> a question you could ask about a lot of things. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I like it. I like it personally. <laughs> I like it personally just because in the it's only the regular season, not the postseason. It speeds up games. We we have 162 games. It's fine if these games yeah. end in the 10th inning as opposed to the 15th. 
Why not just Boyfriend. shorten the season then? Less games. I'm before that. <laughs> I'd be for shortening like all seasons. Like, okay. no, not all seasons. NBA. I think do we need the NFL games? seasons pretty fine. NFL's good. Yeah. College, I think their college sports seasons are fine. Um, but yeah, like NBA, go down to like, I don't know, 65. Uh, NHL. I think like NHL 70. plays, I don't know how many games they, they play. They play 82. They play 82. Yeah. Uh, go down for MLB. I don't know. Go down to 140, something like that. You know, are we really going to miss those extra games? I get all the records I mean, and listen, stuff, but. We get it. The Royal, we understand that the Royals are going to suck. We don't need to watch them suck for 162 <laughs> games. Just watch them suck for 140 games. All right. We're going to uh, eliminate sports, basically right. what we're saying. Rock Talk Sports Talk, where you find <laughs> where you get the deep philosophical questions like, does anybody really care? Yeah. He's Nick Springer. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back with some uh, KU player postgame audio next. Or Mahomes' career, whatever, at this point in time that he'd have two Super Bowls. You'd obviously take it, but for him to win both of them within his first five seasons, you can look at it from like a depressing standpoint. Why do you like, always, always got to do this? <laughs> I don't know. Why do you always go this I route? I don't know. No, I'm just saying of like, if he ends up winning two, that sucks for the next 15 seasons. No, I've already explained it to you. I'm happy. I was happy with okay. one. I'm good. Hmm? I am good. The Chiefs could have never won another, another Super Bowl for the rest of my life, and I would have died happy. So if the Chiefs lose in the playoffs next year, you won't be sad. I'll, I'll be sad. But that's my wrong. point. I'll be sad. That's but my point. Big picture wise, I'll still be happy. I agree, but like I'm saying, that would be like <clears throat> 12 straight seasons where at the end of the year you feel really sad for at least a moment well, in time. There was a lot of seasons where I felt really sad <laughs> throughout the whole season. Okay. And then even at the end of the season too. Understandable. So it does. So I, you know, that don't really matter. Okay. Understandable. I mean, I've been sad. Listen, that's the nature of the game. You're gonna lose in the playoffs. That happens. And yeah, it sucks. But that's how you win a Super Bowl. You got to get get to the playoffs. So I don't I don't think this is that crazy, but also it is because I think it, okay. Here's it's what just I think. so hard to do what they did. I think that I think that Andy Reid, his maturity level as a coach, his experience as a coach, is what is making the difference here with Patch Mahomes. Like I don't think I don't think a young Andy Reid would have been. As successful this quickly with Mahomes, like if you, you swap out Patrick Mahomes with Donovan McNabb in yes. the 2000s, you I don't, don't think I, I don't think it would have been. I don't think they would have made that much because I don't know. That's what that's what I think. Like to me, what defines this relationship between Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid with the Chiefs, really, is that he's this old. He's this has a ton of wisdom. He draws on all all this football knowledge that he has, and like to me, his experience is what kind of captivates this whole thing and what is the glue that, that brings it all together. And so if you had Reed, like before maybe he had some of these ex- this experience and whatnot with Mahomes, I don't know that it's I don't know that it's like a one to one translation. You understand what I'm saying? I think that's a great point. And remember the reason that um Andy Reed, his time in Philadelphia essentially came to an end was maybe overdoing it a bit. And I think there was a lesson to be learned that like for instance Maybe being too involved with the player personnel. Like, he was kind of the GM. Or, I, I remember they yeah. were like, they had like some longtime position coaches who were great at their positions. I, I think it was like their offensive line coach, and then he ended up being their like defensive coordinator, and it like didn't work out. Like, decisions like that kind of came back to bite him. And I think that was a good learning experience. And, you know, maybe taking a step back, like, obviously, he's still going to be involved in personnel. Yeah. But 
having somebody else be the main guy as opposed to him with with Philadelphia. Yeah, but to me, to me, that is what defines the whole, this whole thing is Andy Reid's wealth of experience and knowledge, and I think I think that is why he works so perfectly well with Mahomes and with the Chiefs. So I don't know that it's a I don't know that he it would be really that way if you put him if you gave him Mahomes early on in his career. I think that's fair. Like clearly, they probably. Again, if we're they just making been, the comparison, they, they probably would have been good. They win a Super Bowl or something, but do they have as much success as Patriots? And I don't know. It's, as, it's hard. Well, that's, and especially that's success bar. this quickly, right? Like yeah. Maybe instead of Mahomes getting a Super Bowl in like his third season, it takes him like five seasons or six seasons, yeah. or seven seasons to get his first one. But yeah, no, I'll, I'll say a bit of an overreaction, but I, I don't think it would be crazy either if it did happen. All right. Jalen Hurts is just as good as Josh Allen. Um, man, this is I don't a, think this goes far enough. I think Jalen Hurts is better. It's just better? Josh Allen stinks. Josh Allen had so many turnover issues. The the thing that, that gets me here is like... Jalen Hurts was great in the Super Bowl. He was, he was and we haven't seen Josh Allen be in a Super Bowl, so he doesn't get that, that big stage for everyone to remember him doing Every that. Every big stage you know? he's been on, he's lost. But also, like, there is a part of me that goes, well, but Josh Allen had to play through that bad UCL, UCL injury... I almost called it a UCLA injury. Um, and that really affected things. But I guess also Jalen Hurts was kind of playing through that shoulder injury, right? Yeah. Just throwing shoulder. Okay, let's do it. I think Not it an a, overreaction. Jalen Hurts. I just think as good. the Jalen Hurts shoulder injury thing was a, if you ask, you think so? in my opinion, I think it might have been a little overblown. That's just me, though. I don't know. I'm not in their locker room. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it wasn't, you know. Well, I mean, if we just do like the stats comparison, it is Josh Allen, or I'm sorry, it is Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback this year. Uh, yeah. Now you could also say that the Eagles have better surroundings because do they? I mean, they probably do. They do. But, I, I mean, mean, the Bills have Stephon Diggs is very Stephon good, Diggs. but, but then, like, they don't really have the number off. two. Yeah, yeah. Where, where's, they don't really they have, have the top running, two. They don't have the Eagles game. had the best running offense in the NFL. Eagles they, have well, Jalen Hurts was a part of that though. One of the best. Yeah, he is. Uh, Eagles have one of the best uh, run blocking, or, or not run blocking, just blocking teams in the NFL. Like they're one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, uh, maybe the best. And then also, you could make the argument that what you just said with Jalen Hurts' ability to run, if you put Josh Allen on that team, like he's a good runner too, you know? Yeah, that's true. Now, if we compare, because I think last season was probably a better individual season for Josh Allen. I don't know, even that the one thing that, that Josh but Allen... The other thing is, Jalen Hurts is only 24. Yeah, and the one thing that Josh Allen has kind of always done, he's had some turnover issues. Uh, Jalen yes, Hurts yes. doesn't really turn the ball over. He's at, He had nine interceptions in 2021. He had six this year. That's pretty good. All right, let's do it. We're going there. Jalen Hurts, just as good. Bang! If not better. That sucks, Josh Allen. All right, the Eagles, they're really good. They're a legit team. They got a good offense. But if they played a harder schedule... They'd be worse. They would have been worse. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, they'd be worse if they played a harder schedule. Um. I think, to me, the biggest difference for them, I think the offense would have still been great no matter what. The biggest difference for me is that I think we went into this Super Bowl because of the sack numbers, which rightfully so. They put up ridiculous stat numbers. But we kind of just assumed coming into this game, like, this was a dominant defense. You know what I mean? Like, we, we thought this was one of the, like, yeah. a great defense. I thought it defense. was an elite defense. Yeah. I mean, they were second in the NFL in yards allowed. 
So we thought this was like one of the best defenses in the NFL. I still think it's a good defense. But going back to what we talked about last week, who was the best quarterback they played prior to Patrick Mahomes? Like Dak Prescott? Like, and, yeah, an, an old crappy Aaron Rodgers. Or like, yeah. And I, you know Prescott. what I forgot about in that game? What's that? That was the game that Aaron Rodgers got hurt and oh. Jordan Love came in. And oh. they still put up 33 points. Oh. And then the Dak Prescott game, because remember Dak missed the first game he played in the second. Yeah. That was the game Jalen Hurts was injured, but that doesn't affect the defense. Cowboys put up 40. So, yeah. I kind of think there's not as big of a gap between the Eagles defense and the Chiefs defense. I really don't. I think the Chiefs defense, when they're playing well, yes. Yes, because when the Chiefs defense playing well, Chief, but when the Chiefs defense pass is bad, after they're really bad. Yes, I would agree. So, so the Eagles defense has a higher floor. Agreed, and a higher ceiling. So they Probably, are better. Yeah. They yes. are better. Yes. I'm not arguing that, but I I think the gap is I don't think it's like Eagles had but one of the like the top three two or three best versus yeah. the you know, Chiefs 20th. being like twenty. I think realistically, if the Eagles play a harder schedule, maybe they're like the eighth best defense, and the Chiefs were. I don't know. Maybe over the course of the season, Chiefs ended 16th. The way they played down the stretch outside of the Super Bowl that's where that, they struggled to get off the field was probably 13th or 14th. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it's as wide of a gap as you would think. Okay. okay. I think we kind of found that out in that game. But certainly overall as a team, offensively, Eagles very deserving team to be in the Super Bowl. Yes. 100% agree with that. Okay. Mahomes would be a first ballot Hall of Famer if he retired today. Right yeah. Now. No, this is not an overreaction at all. I mean, he's won multiple Super Bowls. He's yep. won multiple MVPs. He's won multiple Super Bowl MVPs. He's one of only seven players to win the, the regular season MVP and the Super Bowl MVP. He's, yeah, that's, he's got that's a lot something. of stuff. I mean, I mean seriously. When you, I mean, when you start thinking about it, we talk about this. I mean, it, I think with the Patriots dynasty era, it's easy to forget this, but the Super Bowl is very hard to win, and there is not a lot of great players that have won more than one. The list, the, the list gets pretty short pretty fast when you start talking about guys with multiple Super Bowls. Yeah. It's pretty much if you win two, you're like automatically to make it in, which is why a lot of people just assume Eli Manning's going to go in. That's a different conversation that we don't need to have. But uh, you're talking about with Patrick Mahomes. He has, the, yeah, like the two and the two MVPs. He's going to be in. He just is. And so, yes, if you're tired right now, he would go in because this would be known as the greatest five-year stretch of – quarterback that we've individual had, you know, player playing. I guess you could argue maybe a five-year stretch where one of the quarterbacks who won three Super Bowls in a five-year stretch, but if two Super Bowls, you're one off, and statistically you're, you're putting up just incredible insane but numbers. I, again, from an individual standpoint, like what Mahomes has done, nobody's ever done. No. Have you ever thought about, too, like he is just still 27, and we typically think of primes of like quarterbacks between like 28 to 34. Yeah, but like, what I does do, that even look like? I do think we're. I do think there there should be a discussion about uh, shifting that that idea because you see with more mobile quarterbacks, they're they're not going to be able to do like what Tom Brady did, what Drew Brees did, what Brett Favre. Like, I don't think like is 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 Josh Allen is even, gonna last even, as long. Yeah, or even even somebody like Justin Herbert, who like is a mobile guy. Like, is he going to be? that good by the time he's 35, 36, 37? Well, compared I think, to somebody like Philip Rivers or Drew Brees. I think number one, I think you're kind of spot on with that. Like if if you're 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 gonna so lose there, that there's element. Gonna you're to gonna lose a, that element. There's gonna be there's gonna need to be a shift in the paradigm of like of like, okay, for a mobile quarterback who's taking hits and who has to rely on their legs, like 
the pri- your prime, quote unquote, is not going to last as long as some of the some of the old pocket passer quarterbacks we've seen. Yes, so I do agree with that. But counterpoint for Mahomes, but you can adjust. And Mahomes is obviously a great pocket passer as it is. Wasn't this Super Bowl run after he messes up his ankle? Perfect example of done- yeah, but I mean he was still mobile. He was, but like Aaron Rodgers is is forty years old now essentially, and he. He's still, still mobile enough. Kind of mobile, yeah. That's kind of the mobility Mahomes had. Okay, fine. No, but no, there's no question that Mahomes, his pocket passing ability is high enough to where he actually could potentially. Yeah, have I think that's his what prime extent. But because that was, it was. I, I think you know, we we all overblew it. I I definitely did the idea that I, I don't know, maybe deservedly so, because he he has made so many plays on the run and everything. But he still was the number one quarterback in EPA per play on just straight dropbacks in the pocket. Yes. No, so yeah, like, he's, yeah, I, I, he's just really good. A lot is made right, like. Mahomes from the pocket is a top three quarterback in the league, top mm-hmm. two quarterback in the league. And then when you add on to that, the creativity outside the pocket, the scrambling, that's what that's what makes him transcend into the greatest quarterback. So uh, I'm looking right now. Peyton Manning had his career high at the time until it was broke again with the Broncos for touchdown passes in his 28-year-old season. Aaron Rodgers set his career high until it was broke two years ago. For touchdown passes with 45 in his 28-year-old season. Tom Brady had the undefeated season 50 touchdowns in his 30-year-old season. Imagine, does that mean Mahomes, within the next three years, will have 60 touchdowns in a season? I don't think it's that unreasonable to think that. Manning had 55 in a season, now there's one more game? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's outrageous to think that, no. I don't think it is either. Just bananas to have these conversations with Mahomes. What's okay, next? the Eagles... We'll miss the playoffs and experience the Super Bowl hangover next season. So it's not going to be the Chiefs. It's going to be the Eagles. Because they had the storybook run. They should have won this year. And they didn't. They're, they're going to be the ones to experience the Super Bowl hangover. They have a lot of uh, personnel things that are going to be tough decisions. Now, they'll still be a very talented team. But, like, does Jason Kelsey retire? Miles Sanders is a free agent. Um they could be losing stuff on that defensive line. They signed a lot of old veteran defensive linemen that probably aren't going to be feasible to hang on to. Because they, they signed Dominican Sue. They signed... Uh, Linval Joseph. Yep, yep. There was two or three guys on the D-line that they signed that they probably yeah. won't, won't be able to hang on to. Yeah, they'll be losing a good amount. I they, mean, is, uh, do we think Hassan Reddick is going to replicate what he did this probably season? Probably not. Um, also, though, is a flip side, though, where I think they still have like an extra first-round pick. And they still have like really good young players. Like Jalen Hurts will still be on his rookie but, deal. Like the Giants are going to be better. Do you figure the Cowboys Maybe. are going to we'll be better? See what there. happens with the Daniel Jones I guess stuff. You expect the Giants to be better. Yeah, Cowboys could be worse or better. I have no idea. No, yeah, I, I guess that's true. I still kind of expect them to be a playoff team. Okay, but I don't expect them to make it back to the Super Bowl. Why the NFC sucks? That's true. I guess like, dude, the NFC is really bad. Like the, think about like think about the last four teams in the playoffs for the NFC. The Eagles. And the Niners, the Niners have a lot of questions. I mean, they're still a great team, but like, whoever the Niners roll out at quarterback, that's not going to scare you. Yeah. And then who are the other four teams left? It was the the, the Giants. Vikings will probably and regress. The Vikings and who did the Niners have to play in the? Oh, they played the they played the Cowboys. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, all those teams are very like, eh. Lions, baby, it's their year. Oh, time. I'm so on board for mm-hmm. that. All right, that is NFL Monday Reactions. Last one, I guess, for a while. That's sad. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. Dan Fitzgerald, KU Baseball Coach, joins us next. 
Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're joined now by the KU baseball manager, new manager for the team with Dan Fitzgerald, and uh, excited to have him on the show for the first time. Uh, I, I don't know what uh, I guess the, the official term is here. We, you know, in the past with baseball managers, skip, manager, coach, whatever it is, but uh, we appreciate you coming on today. Uh, How'd everything go last week? We know you had a uh, uh, a scrimmage and, and everything with the team. How's everything looking as uh, you guys gear up for the season here? Good guys, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm uh, fired up to fired up to be getting rolling this week. We've had a couple uh, great weekends of scrimmages as we're getting ready, and we're able to the weather's cooperated, so we've been able to get out each weekend and stretch our starters out and and uh yeah it's been good i've, I've, I've liked the way the guys came back from uh winter break healthy and physical didn't miss a beat in the weight room and certainly uh they're chopping at the bit to go at the bit to get going so a couple more days to prepare but then it's a real thing on friday yeah you talked about some of those scrimmages but just how excited are you f- to see your team in in live games like how excited are you just to see your team get to play in a live game against a different opponent yeah, really excited. You know, you find out a lot about your team anytime you play, whether it's a machine pitch scrimmage or a, a inner squad, but nothing reveals who you are like playing someone else because their preparation for us is different than our preparation for us. And, you know, they're watching film on us right now, just like we're watching film on them. So excited to, to go against, uh, uh, you know, another opponent. And I think the other thing that you find out about your team is, you know, how well they're all pulling in the same direction. You know, right now in these inner squads, you got, you know, 15 guys facing 15 other teammates. And once you get all 30 of those guys moving in the same direction, I uh, usually get a pretty good picture of who you're going to be. So we're excited. Got a really competitive crew and, and uh, guys, that are, guys that are really good teammates. So it should be fun. Well, those games come up against Valparaiso. You're going to be playing down in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas starting with uh, February 17th, which is this Friday at 3 o'clock. And um, I, I guess this early in the season, how much of, of scouting reports is there to be had on the other team of trying to figure out what they're going to try to do or what the repertoire of the specific pitcher for the other team is going to try to do? Is, is there much scouting reports for the other team or is it more about just kind of trying to figure things out internally at this point in the year? I think it's probably more the more the second right now. You're just trying to you know figure out who we are. At the same time, you know, anytime there's a returning player, you know, there's plenty of video on them. But you know the way the way pitching is now, and the way the guys develop in the off season, and the pitch design, and, and the way that baseball's kind of progressed technologically and and analytically, you know, we can watch the starters for for Valparaiso, but in the back of your mind, you always think, yeah, this is probably a little bit different than this kid was a year ago, just like a lot of our guys are different than they were a year ago. So, you know, you, you get some guys in the lineup offensively that, you know, have been around a while and you got two, 300 at-bats you can watch, so you get a pretty good feel for, you know, who they are and where their strengths and weaknesses are. But, you know, the big thing is just how, what can we do, limit our mistakes and, you know, all the boring coach speak stuff that, that we all say, hey, take care of the ball, and don't force it, and <laughs> don't give away <laughs> any freebies. And if we do that stuff, we should be fine. What's the process been like for you this offseason coming in and sort of settling into this program and getting ready for this first season for you? What, what, what was that kind of like for you to come in in the summer and, 
and getting the off season and working up to this this moment now where you're at now? Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. You know, we get baseball the way hiring happens is it happens in the middle of a recruiting period. So, you know, we were we jumped head first. I got the job, and then you know immediately, immediately got my uh, staff on board and and got running with those guys on the recruiting trail and signed 18 guys this summer that that we thought could come in and, and help us right away and you know had to evaluate the the previous roster and and the incoming recruits the high school guys that uh, were committed to the program so there was the full evaluation period and and really putting a team together you know we lost uh, quite a few guys off of last year's team you know jumped into the transfer portal and uh, Coach Price retired, and and so we had to put together a new team. So we did that, kind of jumped into that realm, and then you know you get through, get done with recruiting, and then you're, you know, on to okay, we're starting practice in in August, and so yeah, it's been a whirlwind. You know, Thanksgiving was a uh, uh, a welcomed break for sure, <laughs> and then Christmas break, of course, was awesome, and then but then right back at it. So it's been it's been crazy, but. You know, you look at every off season now, and it's they're they're all kind of the same in terms of uh, recruiting, just so intensive, and and you know, and then of course there's the whole other side of life of like family and kids, and you know, I'm trying to squeeze in my one of my last junior high basketball practices of the year for our one of our kids, and baseball started for them, and you know. Uh, all the house chores and yard work doesn't go away just because uh, the season starts. So <laughs> you got to do life on top of it. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so uh, w- when you saw the Kansas job opened up and uh, you were at a really good baseball school with LSU, what, what intrigued you? What intrigued you about coming to Lawrence? And uh, had you been familiar with the area? Did you, when you came up to, you know, interview for the job, were there, were there, there anything that, that you were surprised about when, when you came to KU? Well, when it when it opened, yeah, KU is certainly a school I was familiar with from the outside looking in, and you know I've always had tremendous respect for the Big Twelve, and I had recruited every exit uh, on the I thirty five corridor from you know South Texas to Northern Minnesota, and so I, I had you know spent five years as the head coach at Des Moines Area Community College, which is about three hours north of here spent nine years at Dallas Baptist, which is about six hours south of here, and really felt like my recruiting, uh, you know, kind of lens of, of where I've had success getting guys was kind of this is smack dab in the middle of it. So I felt really good about the ability to get the right guys here, and I felt really good about getting the right staff here. Uh, and then, you know, I had tremendous respect for Travis Goff and – the more and more I learned about the position and learned about the school. And I actually said this last week, I, you know, eight months in, I feel like once a day I find something out about the university of Kansas that, you know, makes it even better. The resources for our student athletes, the city of Lawrence itself, you know, the, the other coaches inside the program, you know, you, you think about, all the incredible coaches at KU and being able to step outside the office and, you know, watch coach self practice for, you know, 15 minutes here, walk over to football and watch Lance practice or, you know, watch coach Bouchard practice. It's just, it's an incredible doctorate level uh, education that these, that these people are doing day in and day out coaching. So 
it's the people uh, that have just been phenomenal, and I and I that's the part I didn't know. And once I found that out, it was, and, and the more and more I've gotten into that, it's just it's been incredible. But yeah, I was I was super intrigued the second that this job opened, and you know, have always thought that this was a gold mine, and uh, yeah, was was why well, I wanted this job really bad, really bad. So I'm very we're very blessed and super thankful to be here. You mentioned playing in the Big 12. It's obviously a, a baseball-rich conference with a lot of talented teams. What, what excites you most about getting the opportunity to play against some of these other Big 12 schools when you get into conference play later this season? Well, I think if you can if you can win in the league like the Big 12, you can uh, you, you can win at the highest level in college baseball. And you know there are the the SEC, the Big 12, the me are you know, obviously the ACC is strong and, and the Pac and the Big 10. Uh, but really, if you look at I think the landscape of it over the past you know few years, it's the SEC and the Big Twelve, and and so to me it was you know the chance to to play against the best and recruit in a place where you can recruit the best. And uh, I think you know I don't spend a whole lot of time talking about next week because we need to get through this week before we do any of that but uh you know big picture when you think of of what we're trying to do and it's like well if you're, if you're not trying to get to omaha or not trying to get to the final four or not trying to get to the national championship or, or whatever your the pinnacle of your sport is you know if you're not trying to do that then you know you're at a disadvantage in recruiting so i i just thought gosh to be at a place where you can literally look at thirty thousand feet and say does this have the foundation and structure to do it at the highest level? Can you check every box and the big 12 checked every box. And so, um, yeah, I just, I just think what we can do here. And, and I also, you know, not to go super tangent on you, but I also wanted to do some, do it someplace where I really felt like you could call home and sustain it. You know, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to go someplace and flip it, move on and flip something else and move on. I wanted to go someplace where, you know, Lord willing, it could put the rest of my career's work in and, and really build it into something really special. Like like all the guys have, you know, at the schools, you know, you look at Vanderbilt, you know, uh, before Tim Corbin got there, it was not what it is today. And Virginia before Brian O'Connor got there. And, uh, you know, think of what Dave Van Horn did at Nebraska and what he's now done at, at, at uh, Arkansas. So, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding all over. You know, success leaves clues or whatever you know, whatever quote you want to use on it. But I, I thought that this was a place that you could make into, into something really special. And, and I definitely got the right staff to do it with. Those guys are studs and uh, we're moving in the right direction with our players. And, and uh, yeah, so it's a special place. Oh, well, that's awesome to hear. As, as far as some of those players, whether it's newcomers, guys who have uh, stuck around in the program, uh, give us a few names that, you think fans should be on the lookout for as the the season starts off here and uh, what we could be expecting for uh, this first week of action? Yeah, our one and two on the mound, uh, Colin Baumgartner, Sam Ireland, two guys that you know I feel can pitch at the front end of the rotation anywhere, uh, two seasoned guys that we got out of the portal that I really like. Uh, Cole Elvis, our catcher, I said it earlier today, he's the best leader I've, I've ever been around, period. He's you know just a special uh, special teammate, special leader, and, and a, a heck of a catcher. I think he'll actually catch in the big leagues for a while. Our shortstop is a, a young man who came with me from LSU, Collier Cranford, and uh, he's 
He has had a great fall and a great early spring for us. And, uh, you know, a bunch of names at the back end. I, I think the bullpen is shaping up to be a real strength for us. But Gavin Brzezowski is a, a transfer we got out of Tennessee. Uh, left-hander, and then Stone Hewlett, a returner from last year. Two two returners that really really showed well on the mound uh, the last couple months are uh, Stone Hewlett and Colby Dugan. And then another one that's come on really strong is Stone Evers. So three guys that, that we were really fired up to inherit. And, uh, yeah, and we've got some speed. We've got some Jansen readers, a big bat in the outfield. Luke Leto, another kid that came with me from LSU, left-handed bat. So, Two big left-handed bats in the middle of the order. Um, yeah, we've we've got we've got to put some pieces around them, but you know we played we played good defense, and if you can do that, at least you can be in the game. So I think we're moving in the right direction. We're talking with Dan Fitzgerald, the uh, head coach, manager of the KU baseball team. I'm curious here. You you've been in a lot of stops that have uh, a lot of good food places. Uh, I, I know I love some of the places up in Des Moines, whether it's, uh, I don't know, Zombie Burger, Mr. Fong's Pizza, whatever, or uh, getting, you know, barbecue down in Texas. Obviously, uh, down in LSU, they're always eating good with crawfish or, or whatever you like with, with the seafood. Do you, do you have a, a food of, of a previous coaching stop or, or a place that, that you most missed or, or maybe you crave that uh, when you're in the area, you have to get it? Oh, man. Well, I've been a recruiting coordinator for a long time, so I feel like I've got a hundred of these places in every little small town in America. Uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head with barbecue in Texas. There are a couple spots. Uh, Cooper's Cooper's Barbecue down in Fort Worth. I, I hope we can hit that up when, when we play at TCU this year. And then, you know, Louisiana, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Uh, I didn't know <laughs> half of what I was eating. I don't know what it was. But it was all phenomenal. The I, I I got addicted to gumbo at one point. I just thought gumbo was the greatest thing I'd ever had. And then, uh, in fact, I had I, I I had Collier Cranford when he went home for Thanksgiving. He brought home some some gumbo, which is very appreciated. And uh, but Louisiana Baton Rouge was a, a just a cornucopia of of unique restaurants. And uh, again, I, I yeah, a million spots down there. If you ever go down to Baton Rouge. Make sure you text me. I'll give you some hole in the walls that are absolutely fantastic. Coach, one more question for you as you take your team into this season. Yeah. If you had to use one word to describe your team, what would you say? Together. Okay. That's there a great answer. Simple. Simple. There you go. Yeah, I love together. it. Oh, we yeah. asked for a one-word yeah. answer. That's all we wanted. So <laughs> I appreciate it. There you and, go. Uh, <laughs> Coach, good luck this week, and uh, we hope to talk to you throughout the season, and, and we're looking forward to tracking uh, the progress and, and everything uh, of the program moving ahead. Thanks, fellas. Rock Chuck. All right, that's Dan Fitzgerald. You can uh, check out, I guess not at home quite yet, taking on Valparaiso this week, but uh, you can certainly buy tickets for later on in the season. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com, the KLWN app. We'll be back after this time out.